I'm Kate. And I'm Jesse. And you're listening to Cocktails and Content Creation. <laughs> Let's do this. At the end of the day, it helps consumers of your content find you and recognize you. So if someone has a blog name that is very similar to yours, that could be a problem. Welcome to Cocktails and Content Creation, the podcast dedicated to helping you easily create content with confidence. I'm Kate Andrews. And I'm Jesse Wyman. Welcome back to another episode of Cocktails and Content Creation. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? We would love to know what you think. And for today's episode, we're actually bringing back our guest from last time, Maria Spear Alice. Uh, we're going to be chatting about the eight legally protectable parts of a blog and reasons to copyright your website. So we're excited to have that discussion, and it's a really great one. Uh, but before we get into that, Jesse, what are you drinking today? So I actually am drinking the last of the Coastal Cocktails um, drink that I had, that gin blackberry bramble. Oh, yeah, from 18, episode 89. Yeah, so just um, have one of those left in the fridge. So that's what I'm going to be finishing up. It's pretty, pretty good. Mm, I am so we're in October now and I am very much looking forward to like a um like a spice cider or mm. something like that that's that's kind of up my alley right now yeah it's been hard it's at always it's hard for me to transition into like fall um but I love you know I love Halloween and all that kind of stuff so I'm um, I'm gonna be looking forward to that or like a pumpkin martini or something mm. like that yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm <laughs> that now. All right. Uh, but I'm sticking with the water, sticking with to the water right now because we. I want to be sharp for this confirmation conversation, uh, and I'm already slurring my words. So let's get into it uh, with our guest, Maria Spear Alice. All right. Today we have back on the show Maria, who is an attorney bringing peace of mind to content creators and online brands when it comes to IP protection, contracts, and internet law. Her goal is to help clients before it hits the fan so that if setbacks happen, they'll bounce back faster. So we actually had her on a show, the show before this one, talking about the legalities with Canva and TikTok. And today we're actually going to talk to her about blogs and eight legally protectable parts of a blog and reasons to copyright your website. Maria, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me here. Excited to dig into this topic. This is a good one. This mm-hmm. is really going well. So last time you shared uh, your your drink of choice if it was five o'clock in the afternoon, which is a gym gim- gin gimlet. Yes. What are, what are you drinking today? Are you still dreaming of that gin gimlet? I I am still dreaming of that gin gimlet in the summertime. You know, I gotta have the lime. So so maybe a margarita. We can change to a margarita. Can't beat that either. So if you're at a gin <laughs> but you got tequila, the margarita will be on your list, right? Yes. <laughs> I love, well, I love both. I actually used to not like gin. Um, I used to have this, like the juniper berry. I was like, ah, it tastes like Christmas trees. Yes. And yep. now I've become very much accustomed to it. I love all the gin cocktails that I could have. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yes. Um, so you gave a really good background last time, but for those listeners that are just listening into this episode, remind us about your journey and what it is that you do. So I am an attorney um, and I practice copyright and trademark and internet law. So helping brands to protect their most valuable assets online. That's the brand name. That's all the content that they create. 
Um, that's, you know, aside from the kind of the traditional things that we think of as content, the photos and the, the more artistic works. Now it's websites, it's Instagram captions. That's something that you can protect via copyright law. It's of course, you know, online course materials and things like that. And so, uh, protecting those things. And the way that I got here was starting as a voice major and, um, you know, became interested in the legal aspect of music and the legal downloads and protecting, you know, the independent artist. And that led me to law school and kind of, you know, exploring the creative aspect of the law and, and copyright and things like that. So I have just a question on your journey. So did you actually graduate then with like a degree this is going voice. to be my question and, and then and then and then you were just like oh I think I'll go to law school that's so funny yes the L Woods moment uh yeah I had my bachelor's uh bachelor of music uh degree from Michigan and um basically well you know I had I, I I could never overcome my like stage fright and self-confidence issues to be honest and so graduating and auditioning and 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 that's the worst. Getting into that life was just like, I, I what else am I going to do? <laughs> and then I like how you put that, that L Woods moment. Yes. I would have never kind of stitched that together, but you're totally right. Cause I think she was like <laughs> fashion, fashion merchandising or something like that. And how does that have anything to do with it? But I mean, you've obviously found your niche. And I think that, you know, especially with the conversation we had last time, which was also talking about like music specifically relating to TikTok and reels and legality of that, like you've obviously found what you are good at. And I hope you still, you know, sing quite a bit here and there. So we've talked a lot about blog content on the show, but never have we thought about the, this is where I was going with this. This is where we thought the legal ramifications to protect our content. It just hasn't crossed our mind. You know, we think that we make it so it's ours and then we put it on the internet. So it's still ours, but let's dive into the eight parts of the blog that you can, that you can protect. Yes. But also why is this important to us? Why should we be caring about it? I mean, that's a great question too. So, so let's start, we'll start with blog name because that's kind of maybe an obvious one. Um, The name of your, your blog or your platform and this could either be a personal name or it could be, you know, like Spear IP is the name of my business and, and, and appears on, you know, kind of the heading header of my website. So that's my business name. And the name is a trademark. Um, that's how your readers recognize you. It's how they search for you. Um, and that's protectable under trademark law because it signifies a certain quality uh, that, that, you almost can't put your finger on, but it's an association. So if I say Coca-Cola, you immediately have a mental association. Whereas if I say Pepsi, you immediately have maybe just some kind of different association. And at the end of the day, it helps consumers of your content find you and recognize you. So if someone has a blog name that is very similar to yours and could cause confusion to someone who wants to purchase or, or visit your site, that could be a problem. But the biggest misconception that I hear when it comes to names is that you have to have something trademarked or registered in order to have protection. And that's not true. You can you have trademark protection the instant you launched that platform, the instant you started using it in connection with your services. And so you can use that little TM symbol now, even if you don't have a registered trademark. 
So you don't have to file for anything. Nothing Correct. like that. You do no. have to file for the R, the R in the circle. That's for registered trademark. And what about the little C? That is for copyright. And we can talk about copyright notices too on, on okay. blogs. I just sure. figured I'd go there next because yeah. we're all talking about all those little things. So what happened? So then, so like my blog is um, fashionably Kate and company, right? And maybe I'm a very good candidate to talk about this because when I was looking, fashionablykate.com was taken. I tried fashionablykate.org, but nobody does .orgs anymore. So I went to fashionablykate and company because I figured, well, I don't even know why I did that. So because it, it, in that case, is my is something that I do close enough to somebody who has like fashionablykate.com? Like, can I technically trademark? I mean, already because I've been using it for four years or so. <laughs> four years is, I mean, that's a good sign. So I my, my rule of thumb is if the domain is available, that's a great sign okay. that you can use it, but it's not the end all be all by any okay. means. You would want to search in the trademark office. You would search even on Google because like I said, you don't have to have a registration in order to have rights. So there could be someone who doesn't have a registered trademark that's using something similar. But with something like fashionably, fashionably Kate and company. Kate and company. Yeah. Um, you know, it depends. It, 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 it's a typical lawyer answer. Uh, it depends. It depends on what <laughs> else is out there. Um, you know, if there are a few, then I would say you don't have anything to worry about because if there are a if there's a handful of really similar brands, then your consumers will look to those little differences like and company to yeah. differentiate between any of those. So right. what is what is registering the trademark actually get you then in terms of protection? Yeah. Because if it automatically applies when you create the thing, mm-hmm. um, what is the, what are the benefits? Yeah. yeah. So the benefits are the best way I can explain this is, you know, we all know innocent until proven guilty, right? In the context of criminal, a criminal law. So with a trademark, you're innocent until proven guilty if you have a registration. So in other words, you, everything is taken as true that you own it, that you've used it on such and such a date that you have protection in the entire United States. Um, all of those things are taken as true. If you have a registration, if you don't have a registration, then you have to prove each one of those things. So instead of someone having to prove that they're false, you are having to prove that they're true. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So if someone were to start using like a very like fashionably Kate and co, like let's say Kate saw that and somebody else is using that, she, because her she's not registered, she would then, if she wanted to take them to court for whatever, I don't know what the actual, um, you know, Kate infringement would be that um, she would have to prove that she had been using this first in some way or another. Yes. And she would have to do it in state court instead of federal court. Um, and then would have to get into, yeah, is she actually using it in the state where they're located and, and little things like that. And trademark registration also um, prevents like an innocent infringement. So it creates a record that you're out there. So someone can't say, oops, you know, I didn't know that you existed. Well, you have this registered trademark. You're in the trademark office database. Um, so you're there. It also is nice because it acts as a, as a, what's the word I'm looking for? A barrier to someone else. So if someone runs a trademark search and they see you there, then it's kind of a stop for them as well. Mm, Okay. So, all right. So blog name is one. What's another? Next, um, we can get into 
photos. I mean, photos is, is something that maybe we all know, an obvious example, but photos certainly. Um, and we talked, well, it's funny because people get it when it comes to music. You know, you're, you know the rules for the most part in terms of like you seeing someone else's music, say, on your website. But when it comes to photos, there's just this thing. And I, you know, I can tell you the number of people that have come to me because they've gotten a letter from Getty Images or whoever because they searched for royalty-free image on Google or on Pinterest. And they're like, and they use that image. But surprise, surprise, the image was not royalty-free or you know, they couldn't use it that way. And so stock photos, you know, when, when, when we're using stock photos, we want to make sure that we know where they came from and that we're using them kind of according to the fine print. But your photos that you own, that you take yourself, are certainly protectable. And you can register those at the Copyright Office, too, if you, if you, you know, on, on those key posts where those images are, maybe they've gone viral on Pinterest. Um, yeah, those are worth registering, in my opinion. And is that a similar process? Like, I mean, that's, you know, my understanding and I'm a photographer and, you know, I take photos every single day almost that once you click the shutter, you own the copyright. It's one of those kind of like the trademark. You can, it's automatically trademark. It's automatically copyrighted, but until you register it. So if you wanted to take them to court for infringement, you need to have it. Register. Well, this is what I see in Facebook groups. So like before you do anything, make sure to go, like you see your images by being used illegally by somebody else. Everybody always says, go get it, go to the copyright office and make sure to copy, like copyright the images that you're seeing that are being used um, without permission. So is that like? An... Yes. Um, okay. So, so you do have to have a registration in order to file a lawsuit. You don't have to have a registration in order to send a cease and desist letter, but if the infringement already happened and then you go and register something. That looks a little fishy. It, it's, it's not even that it's fishy. It's just that it doesn't count okay. as much as yeah. if it had already been registered before they infringed, you could still get something. So, so copyright infringement is, uh, sorry, registration is so worth it. And for someone um, like you, Jesse, who just takes so many photos every day, are you going to register every single photo? No. Um, she wouldn't be able to, it would be, that's, she'd be spending all of her time. Doing yeah. That. I've never, I've never registered a single photo. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so it, so if someone infringes, then they're then you are entitled to what's called actual damages, and that's either the profits that someone has made, which there may be none, or an actual licensing fee that you can prove is your standard licensing fee. So again, if you go back to like the Getty Images example, well, they have a web, you know, you can go and buy a license, and so it's very easy for them to say like, here's our license fee, pay us a thousand dollars, please. Um, so, so that stuff can be one hard to prove or two, you know, there may be no profits. And so, you know, you send the cease and desist and you're out the t- that time and money. Whereas if you have it registered on time, then you get what's called statutory damages. And that's where, I mean, you could almost say you can make money if you're copied, if you, if you're entitled to statutory damages. So the law says if you've got a copyright registration, you're infringed, you get at least $750 all the way up to $30,000. It could be more if it's an intentional, like willful infringement, uh, malicious, you might say. So, so you get at least that amount of money and you get your attorney's fees. So if you send a cease and desist letter, they see you've got a registered copyright. They know if this goes to court, I'm not only gonna have to pay that 750, I'm gonna have to pay attorney's fees for filing a lawsuit 
and that's going to be a lot of money. So let's just settle it. I'll pay her, you know, the, the statutory fee, I'll pay her attorney's fees that she's gotten so far. And, you know, then you're done. So it's quite a, quite a difference between having to prove, you know, the profit or the license fee or whatever versus automatically being entitled to some money. Good to know. But, but like for someone like yourself, for a lot of content creators, it's not everything that you create. Maybe you know that certain images are used on Pinterest a lot, or your certain pins on Pinterest are repinned a lot, um, or certain blog posts have a ton of hits. Then I would say, okay, maybe look at the images there and, and consider registering those images. Mm. Okay. No, that makes sense. All right. So what's that net? What's the next thing that you should be looking to? So videos. You know. Protect videos, yourself. Okay. Videos are another and, and kind of similar to photos. You know, they're they're any visual representation on your blog. Um, and it's similar. That's protectable under copyright law. Um, printables. So your lead magnet, if you have a lead magnet, that's maybe a PDF checklist of some kind. That's something that you can protect. And that again, that's uh, copyright law territory. Uh, Interesting. So that's really basically like if someone, um, let's say you are in a certain industry and you've got a freebie opt-in and someone in a similar industry comes along and they're like, Ooh, I want to see what she's doing. They download your printable and they're like, Ooh, I love this. I want to make my own very similar. And how, I guess, I mean, that seems very like vague, almost like if someone completely redesigned it is actually happening. Yeah. So how, how is that? Like if you came along and if I see someone using my whatever, and I'm like, Oh, that looks oddly familiar to mine. Mm -hmm. I would say they would be like, Oh no, I, I just really had the same idea. How is that? That's a really, really good um, question and a good topic. So what's the, where's the line between being inspired by something or having an idea or or having a protectable idea? And the answer is an idea all by itself is not what's protectable. Um, I always go to Amy Porterfield and Jenna Kutcher um, really both talk about marketing, right? And they both have a course on building your email list. So that's the general, you know, idea. Here I've done the, the little freebie the course there. So yeah, you're talking with Jenna Kutcher. So yeah, yeah. So there you go. So, but the way that they teach it, the visual aspects to it, the actual text that they use, that's what's protectable about your spin on whatever it is. And so if someone creates a freebie like yours, um, if they've copied you, you know, if they've copied your text, yeah, that's a problem. But if it's the same idea and they haven't really, the, the idea, that kind of umbrella, you know, growing your email list or whatever it is, is all that's similar, then probably not protectable. Okay. That makes, that makes sense because sometimes, you, you know, and I think about like, even when it comes to music, you know, there are artists that come out with a song and somebody else comes out and is like, well, wait, I had that song. And you listen to the two songs and you're kind of like, Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes like, oh yeah, that's very similar. And then sometimes it's like, yes. <laughs> I mean, how I know there's a lot of different beats, but how many, how many times, how many different kind of beats are there really? Yes. Like, are you really going to nitpick on this? Okay. Yes. 
What's got, next? Yeah, we got blog name, photos, videos, printables, and course material. Mm, yeah. Some good stuff. So next is recipes. I don't know how many content creators you have mm. that are kind of in the food space. We've had some people on here. Yeah. And, and I say recipes kind of because as recently as maybe six months ago, there was a court in New York that reaffirmed, no, like an, a list of ingredients is not something that you can protect. Even like the very basic instructions are not something you can protect, but, and I know that the food bloggers out there, the food content creators will appreciate this because everyone talks about like, I don't want to read your life story before I get to the recipe to show me the recipe. But we know that that's, that stuff is where the money is. You know, that's where maybe the ads are, affiliate links, yeah. um, and that's the stuff that's copyrightable. Your story is what's copyrightable. And of course the images, you know, that's different, but, um, so that's where I say recipes kind of, because, you know, the, the, the origin story or whatever it is, the, the story that you tell that kind of weaves in the recipe that's protectable. So what is the, what are the benefits of that? Like how would, so would that essentially like kind of protect the rest of the material in that, in that respect? Well, it wouldn't protect the list of ingredients or instructions on how to put it together. Okay. Okay. But it would protect your story and in your other texts. So if you explain, I mean, if you explain the recipe in a way that is more story-like that, that, that incorporates that part of it, but the actual just basic instructions not so, much. so someone could okay. theoretically say, I'm going to make this exact chocolate chip cookie recipe, and I'm just going to make up some other story to go along with it beforehand. And that'll make it different okay. and, um, and not copied quote. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. So any food bloggers out there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So recipes, what else we got? Um, so should we talk about hashtags? Hashtags aren't necessarily a blog specific thing, but people ask me all the time, you know, can I protect this hashtag? Well, because people come up with like branded hashtags for like specifically for their brand. Yes. And, and my answer to that is that hashtags are tricky because like you said, they'll create, uh, you know, a brand might create their own hashtag for, a campaign or something. And that's more of it. So we're talking about trademarks here not copyright. And if you're using it in connection with specific, I keep saying branding purpose. And does that, does that, do you understand what that means as opposed to just a description? So hashtags traditionally are just a categorization system, right? It's if, if I'm hashtagging something, you know, content creator tips, that's not any right. kind of branding sense. Whereas, you know, Delta uses, you know, I don't remember exactly what the hashtag is, but for travel things where they're sharing content about using Delta and traveling different places, well, that's a little bit more on the branding side. Mm-hmm. So if, yes. you're, if you've created a hashtag around your brand that maybe incorporates your brand name somehow and is used in more of that branding sense as opposed to that hashtag concert creator tips or hashtag learned on TikTok sense, then you might be talking about a more protectable hashtag. And even this could go as simple as just doing a hashtag, hashtag Jossie Wyman photography. Mm -hmm. And if someone, if another photographer uses hashtag Jossie Wyman photography and you find them, you're like, Hey, that might be 
you know, unfair competition. You're using my name in connection with to build your business. Yeah. Okay. I never would have thought about that one. No, me neither. (laughs) Me neither. Okay. So like I have, sometimes I do like fashionable travel or something like that. That's probably not going to cut it. Yeah. That's more descriptive. I would think. All right. Good. I'm glad we got both those, those ideas in there. All right. So what's next? I think, oh, the last is infographics, which is kind of one of those categories that something you might create on Canva, um, but maybe not, or, or it's something that it's a little different than your freebie, but I, I suppose an infographic could be a freebie, but it's, you know, that visual representation of data or, or a message that you're trying to get across. Right. And that's a graphic design that you can certainly register with the copyright office. That's it. I think that's the whole list. Going back to our conversation last time around, because you mentioned Canva here, mm-hmm. I recently created not a, not an infographic, but a freebie, and it was um, a travel budget planner. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had gone in there, I had put you know my logo on it, and kind of had come up with like you know the ten things or whatever that you need to take into account when you're coming up with your travel budget because that's part of my thing. I'm a travel blogger, and then like a bunch of lines for people to add in their own. And at the bottom, as I said, I really got to rethink all of this mm-hmm. um, after our last conversation. If you haven't listened to it, guys, check that out after this one. Um, I put at the bottom. Uh, you know, the little C, fashionably Kate and Co. 2022. And you can look up in there. And now I need, again, I need to check that double, that three dots there. You can look up like copyright symbol on there mm. and like put it on there. Like, so I thought I was fine. Um, <laughs> like the copyright symbol may yes. be copyrighted or that like have limitations yes. no, on the I use really, that like, would be ironic that would be yeah. so like i'm seriously today i'm gonna like go back and check that out because like I, I have no idea what what's going on there but you know there's thinking you know thinking about infographics freebies mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff you know yeah you, yes okay you may be able to copy or trademark them but you got to make sure you're doing it on the right platforms i guess yeah. so that's just every again guys check out the last episode too so that you know everything about what you're doing illegally legally whatever well and i'm so Please. glad that you brought up the copyright notice because that's that's one thing that i wanted to touch on before we before we um finished our discussion is the copyright notice because there is a right way to do it and if you have it you know reversed or you're not doing it the right way then it could cost you in terms of infringement because it used to be that you have to have a copyright symbol on something in order for it to be protected. They did away with that requirement. But if you don't have a proper copyright symbol on your work, then someone can claim innocent infringement. And then you're knocked down to, I think it's like $250 is the most that you can get for that infringement. So here's the re- correct order. Ready? Okay. The word copyright or that little C, that little copyright notice, the year it was published which for a blog or a website could be a a range, right? Because you could have blog posts ranging back to 2015 to present year, right? So Mm -hmm. 2015-2022 or whatever your range is. And then the name of the owner. Not not the brand name, the name of the owner. So it wouldn't be like, for me, it wouldn't be Fashionably Kate and Company. It would be Kate Andrews. Well, <laughs> that goes into, again, it depends. It depends on whether your business owns the copyright or whether you own the copyright. 
So, um, you know, if you have a DBA or if you have an LLC, you know, you can kind of think through who's the owner. Okay. So I have like a, I have a DBA. So that would still be, so that would still be me. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you you do. You can do either, right? You can do either. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, Jesse Wyman, like I'm a DBA as well. So it's Jesse Wyman doing business as Jesse Wyman Photography, which makes it easy. Yeah. But um, I actually had a follow-up question on the infographics. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm thinking about um, processes, like how, like both visually creating like a, a process map, maybe visually with infographics. But then that led me to also think, what about a process? Can you copyright or trademark a process that, like, for example, the way I take my clients through my client experience. Can I copyright that or and or if I create like, let's say, an info, cute infographic that like step one and then it's like a map or whatever. So that's a super in, there's a, there's an interesting answer to that question, because a process by itself is kind of the same thing as a recipe. It's 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 functional. And that that means not copyright territory, not protectable. But Again, it's kind of like the the email marketing, you know, growing your email list idea. You might have a process, but you might have a unique way of conveying how you go through that process. And so the things that you've written out or the visual representation that you're creating in that infographic, again, it's not the process itself, but the way you are phrasing it, the way you're visually representing it, those things are what's protectable. Okay. That makes sense. That was just my last follow-up question to that. Yeah. Okay. There's so much involved. Do we miss anything? I, I can't even remember. Is, this, is that eight? Is that just I think counting? That's, that's, that's my list. I think that's, yeah, it. I think that's it. I think that's, okay. um, yes, Please. that's, that's a lot. So this, this does sound for, for content creators, for me, like I take thousands of photos, thousands of photos. So, and you know, Kate writes hundreds of blog posts. How, I know we didn't ask this, but how would one create a system so that they're organized and keeping track of all of these pieces and when they should take that extra step and either registering or not registering, like, is there a system that you have or like can direct us to another resource that a process your own process that you might want to try trademark? Or yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so what I say is usually content creators will go back and look at analytics and see how a post did anyway, either monthly or quarterly, quarterly, some interval that's up to you to determine. And so if you're looking at those numbers anyway, in terms of your content creation process and seeing what people like and what to create more of, that can also help to inform you what's getting the most reach and what, you know, if if something's getting a lot of reach, of course, there's potential for copying. And so that's a good way to almost incorporate it into your content creation process when you're looking at those analytics and you're looking at the hits and the reshares and all of that saves what's out there? What do people like? So what's the most, it it can also tell you what's the most vulnerable. That that's a really good answer. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes like go out there and do every single thing that you've got, because it would be they, Oh, you know what? I have also another follow-up question because like when it comes to blog posts, should you be putting at the, I know you said you don't have to, but like, should you be putting like a copyright at the bottom of each blog post that you post? I, the footer is, sufficient. So the footer will appear on every. Okay. The footer of your website covers you. Yeah. 
All right. That's a good, that's good to know because I was just like, I'm, I haven't done that. And I have that little footer that, you know, says that thing, but I was like, do you have to keep, have to keep going? Do you, should you be, I mean, so then going beyond that, should you be putting that on your Instagram? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I've seen it like every once in a while, I've seen somebody do it strangely enough and I've yeah. never thought about it. Technically you could, that would be so cumbersome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, technically, legally speaking, yes. That's a, that's sufficient enough answer for us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. So this I feel was... like we could pick your brain about a million other things, Maria, because so much has come up in our conversation that I, we didn't even think about when we were have you know talking about having you on the show um <laughs> but thank you so much um people are obviously going to want to talk to you and pick your brain after this where can they find you and get in touch with you you can find me on instagram at spear ip law you can also come to my website website spear-ip.com and i actually have a free training it's on demand it's 10 minutes long where awesome. you can watch me go through a website and kind of do a little audit of you know, I think this should be here and this might be there and um, kind of pick into a couple of little legal blind spots that I find um, exist on websites. Oh, wow. Jess, you're on mute. You also mentioned you had a YouTube channel. Yes, I do have a YouTube channel um, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link for the show notes to that. Yeah, awesome. that would be fantastic. And I'm definitely going to do that training because as I said, you know, as I said in the last episode, I'm going to be really reassessing a lot of my materials, but I think that this is kind of, maybe that might be the easiest way to start is with that 10 minute training. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And we were, thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like Jesse and I just got a ton of free legal advice, which we <laughs> know is, not, is a, I know. educational, right? This is not legal advice. Well, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm the sorry. disclaimer. The, disclaimer. the lawyer's got to put the disclaimer in there. <laughs> we didn't actually like specifically ask super, you know, in, you know, in-depth questions. So we, we tried to keep it, we tried to keep it legal. For business, the show. business advice. Business advice. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Maria, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's been great chatting with you guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We did too. So some of the things that she was mentioning, I feel like I kind of knew about like, oh yeah, obviously photos, being the photographer, videos. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, the blog name, you know, your, your name that made sense. But one of the things that I found really interesting was the hashtags and the recipes where, you know, if you're a food blogger and you've got the recipe, you can't actually, you know, you've got that blog post, mm -hmm. what will make it copyrightable or protectable per se is that story that you put in front of it, which I am guilty of just scrolling through. I'm like, enough of this. Yeah. But as a food blogger, you use that space for the ads, for those keywords, for the SEO. And, you know, some people may read it. I personally don't. Yeah. Um, and then the hashtags, which was something I didn't think about makes sense. But obviously, it's kind of a gray area. And she was saying that it needs to, for it to be protectable, it needs to be associated more with a brand or branded content. So those were 
my sort of aha moment. It's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, you know, it's funny. So when I was, when I first started, when I started my very first blog, um, it was before we had moved into the house and it was all, it was all about travel, but then I was, you know, I wasn't traveling as much because we bought a house and I started one a blog in 2013 that I've talked about and can't even find it now. It was, it was the original fashionablykate.org. Uh, and I was kind of playing around with different stuff. And so I had gotten kind of into baking and I was trying to bake like really cute, like Pinterest things. Pinterest has really kind of like all of a sudden people were discovering it and, you know, Pinterest perfect and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, so I got into a bunch of Facebook groups um, specifically about food bloggers. Cause again, I was kind of just dabbling in different things. I don't know if you even know this about me. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember a, like maybe a year ago, um, like I just never left these groups. And so every once in a while, something pops up and maybe a year ago, there was this huge debate in one of the groups, like somebody, some, for some reason had been accepted into the group and wasn't actually a food blogger. And he got on the, why do you guys spend like a ton of time writing your personal life story on these blogs that are supposed to be about recipes. And then finally I scrolled down and I get, and there was like, I have no idea what, but it ended up sparking like conversation on several of the, I don't know if this person like joined a bunch of the groups or whatever. Several of these groups then were discussing why they actually post their story beforehand. And I don't actually think the whole idea about the, 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 you know, being able to copyright the life story even came up. I think a lot of it was what she had like mentioned with the affiliate links and stuff like that, having that in there. Um, so it was that was a very interesting piece of the comment, and it just kind of made me chuckle because I was remembering about that whole yeah 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 yeah, yeah. whole spiel that was just uh, I don't know why people feel very passionately about that. I know, um, but good for you, food food bloggers. You do what you want to do. I know that's what I do on my own blog. So why shouldn't you? Uh, all right took a little bit of a tangent there. Thanks so much for listening to cocktails and content creation. You can check us out on Facebook cocktails and content creation community, and you can check us out on Instagram at cocktails and content creation. We'd also love it. If you'd leave us a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening, I'm Kate Andrews and you can follow on me. You can follow me on Instagram at fashionably Kate and co for motherhood, travel, fashion advice, but you will no longer find food there. So <laughs> so you know and i'm jesse wyman you can follow me on instagram at jesse wyman photos or at the brand photographer method if you want to learn more about getting into brand photography make sure to tune in next time for another great episode of cocktails and content creation until then cheers to your next cocktail and happy content creating mm-hmm.